0: Welcome to Market Matters, our markets podcast on making sense—the hub for J.P. Morgan Corporate and Investment Bank podcasts. In each episode of Market Matters, we discuss the latest news and trends shaping markets today.
1: Hi, this is Meredy Cleary from the FIC Market Structure and Liquidity Strategy team. We've had a particularly eventful three quarters of 2023. So in this episode, we'll take stock of the most important topics on our radar and highlight some of the global developments that you should look out for in the run-up to year-end. To do this, I'm joined by my colleagues Kate Finlayson in London and Leland Price in New York. Hey, guys.
2: Hi, Meredith. Hey, guys. Great to be here.
1: Kate, there's been quite a bit of noise around basis trades recently. This is where a trader buys treasuries and sells the associated treasury futures contract and vice versa. Maybe you could cover what the backdrop is there and what policy action we're tracking.
3: Yeah, sure. Well, we've been monitoring proposals relating to non-bank financial intermediation sector for some time now. So far, many of the proposals have been keenly orientated towards money market fund and open end fund reform. And in fact, the liquidity risk management of these funds in particular. When it comes to hedge funds within this non-bank financial intermediate sector, we have seen attempts by U.S. regulators to enhance oversight and transparency. So, for example, the SEC recently made amendments to Form PF with the aim of gaining visibility into hedge fund exposures. And the SEC has also proposed a change to the definition of a dealer and proposed or finalized various other private fund advisor reforms. However, there haven't been any recent detailed global policymaker recommendations on proposals relating to hedge fund leverage.
1: And the most recent development is a progress report issued by the Financial Stability Board, right Kate?
3: Exactly. And it highlights the elevation of non-bank synthetic leverage over the historical average, primarily driven by a group of hedge funds with very high levels of borrowing. So the report also raises the difficulty in accurately assessing the leveraged treasury market exposures for these large funds, who typically spread their borrowing across several different prime brokers. The FSB also states that the concentration of hedge fund lending among a few prime brokers could amplify any shocks to the financial system. This focus on leverage was also reflected in the Fed's notes published on September 8th, which stated that financial stability risks are facilitated by low or zero haircuts on Treasury repo borrowing. And the note supports the idea that elevated exposures are concentrated among the 50 largest funds. And alongside this, repo borrowing is trending up as a result of the reemergence of the Treasury cash futures basis trade. I think it's worth highlighting the mention of a minimum haircut floor. The Fed estimates that implementing a 200 basis point haircut floor on repo borrowing would require funds to hold $12.4 billion in additional capital, resulting in a reduction in effective leverage. Of course, the Fed does acknowledge that this move would negatively impact hedge funds return on equity on their relative value trades financed by U.S. Treasury repo. And so pricing spreads in hedge fund trades would have to double in order to remain profitable. Look, clearly more to come on this topic. On the FSB front, we could hear more in the coming months about its book of work it plans to roll out over the next year on leverage.
1: Thanks, Kate. That's really interesting. And another topic that has been on the top of our agenda the last two quarters in particular is around Basel III implementation, meaning the rules to enhance regulatory capital requirements That align with the final set of Basel III standards, which were issued in 2017 by the BCBS or the Basel Committee on Banking Supervision. Lee, in July of this year, U.S. agencies released a couple updates within the so-called Basel III endgame. Sounds a little bit suspenseful.
2: That's right. And so, as you mentioned, the Federal Reserve, FDIC, and OCC recently put forward two notices of proposed rulemaking related to Basel III. And one of the important aspects of these proposals is that they change the calculation of risk-weighted assets, or RWA. So, specifically, the proposal would replace internal models-based capital requirements for credit and operational risk with new risk-sensitive standardized requirements. And this is being referred to as the expanded risk-based approach. The new rules would also apply capital standards to a broader set of banking organizations. All banking organizations with over $100 billion in total assets would now be required to calculate regulatory capital in a consistent manner. For the largest systemically important banks, which are also known as GSIBs, the joint agencies issued a Notice of Proposed Rulemaking or NPR to change that methodology for calculating the risk-based capital surcharge. It seeks to measure on an average basis over the full year the indicators that are currently are measured as of year-end.
1: And I think it's worth stressing that the NPRs are not final rules,
2: right? 100%. But from the information that has been provided and set out in the GSIB surcharge in the Basel III endgame, it is clear that there will be a significant rise in the amount of capital that U.S. GSIBs need to set aside. So while these proposals are quite complex and may be something for a report instead of a chat on this podcast, As the capital requirements increase, the cost of capital could ultimately mean increased costs associated with execution and liquidity. Now, the comment period on these two NPRs is open until November 30th, and given the significance of the impact, it seems like a great opportunity for market participants to opine and provide their views.
1: Thanks, Lee. Another topic that we've been covering is India's inclusion in JP Morgan's Emerging Market Bond Index, which is due to start from June 20, 2024. Kate, this has been a long-awaited development. What do you think this could mean for India's fixed income markets, but also for foreign investors?
3: Yes, in fact, this update has actually been years in the making. India has been on the positive index watch list for nearly three years, and the inclusion into the index is absolutely significant. Even though India's bond market is one of the largest in emerging markets in APAC, foreign holdings currently comprise around only 2%. Our research team expects foreign bond inflows of between 20 to 25 billion dollars as a result of the inclusion, phased in over 10 months. The announcement was off the back of India's fully accessible route program, which was launched in 2020 and enables foreigners to invest in specified government bonds without quotas. And Actually, Korea also remains on the watch list for inclusion, albeit into the FTSE World Government Bond Index. And the Korean government has announced various initiatives to facilitate foreign investment into its capital markets. This includes removing capital gains taxes on government bonds and loosening restrictions on FX markets. Foreign investor engagement in these different markets and the various access routes will continue to be a keen focus for us.
1: Thanks, Kate. So, switching gears a little bit, the move to T1 settlement in the US and Canada in May next year has been a hot topic within the industry as firms seek to understand what the shortened settlement time could mean for their operations and market liquidity. We published a podcast on this channel a few months ago, but to our new listeners, this move will require equities, corporate bonds, mutual funds, ETFs, convertible bonds, ADRs, and others. To essentially complete trade confirmations, allocations, and affirmations on trade date or T. Since this was announced, industry testing is ongoing as market participants prepare for the new rules to kick in next May. Firms that do not currently have a US presence may look to move employees, others may look at pre funding trades when it comes to executing and settling a short dated FX transaction, and so on. From an EMEA perspective, the UK government has put in place a task force to explore the potential for faster settlement of financial trades. In Europe, regulators are looking to see how T plus one could be rolled out. And given the market fragmentation there with multiple currencies and countries to consider, it's certainly no small task. This roadmap sits within the CSCR refit, or for those of you who aren't familiar, this is the Central Securities Depositories Regulation. You may recall that the European Parliament and Council reached an agreement on a compromise tax for CSDR refit in June of this year. Overall, from an industry perspective, it's important that we focus on coordination both at an intra- and international level.
2: I'll just jump back in here to draw our attention back to Europe. One topic that we'd like to discuss is the EU's open strategic autonomy, which continues to be an important topic with respect to trading, clearing, and settlement on the continent. Now, the overall goal of the initiative is to reduce perceived over-reliance on non-EU firms and improve market infrastructure to service EU clients. A big topic of conversation is the proposed active account requirement by the European Commission. Kate, I wonder if you can offer some thoughts on that topic.
3: Yeah, you're absolutely right. This forms part of the second major revision to the European Market Infrastructure Regulation, or EMIR 2.0. This would require all market participants subject to the clearing requirement to hold active accounts at EU CCPs for clearing at least a portion of in-scope derivatives. And importantly, what qualifies as an active account is still being debated. So there's more to come on that. And while the aim is to encourage clearing in the EU and improve the attractiveness of EU CCPs, there's split views on this proposal, with some arguing to do away with the requirement as it could hamper competition and raise costs. Others are calling for more qualitative rules instead, taking a less stringent approach versus those who are in favour of the rule, i.e. supporting the quantitative. quantitative approach. Overall, it's important to ensure that any significant requirement doesn't hamper the competitiveness of EU firms and overall costs of end investors.
1: Well, team, we've covered a lot of ground today.
3: Yes, we have. Definitely.
1: I think one more topic I'd like to discuss very briefly is just around transparency developments. Obviously, in the UK and EU, they're separately looking to develop a consolidated tapes for different asset classes. Looking ahead, we're also expecting an FCA consultation in Q4 on bonds and derivatives transparency. And this is a hugely relevant as these rules govern when a trade is made public, which could potentially be revised. Thank you, Kate and Lee, very much for your time today.
3: Thanks, Meridi. Thanks, guys.
1: To our listeners, please stay tuned for more FIC Market Structure, liquidity strategy episodes on JPMorgan's Making Sense
0: channel. I hope you have a great day. Thanks for listening to Market Matters. If you've enjoyed this conversation, we hope you'll review, rate, and subscribe to JPMorgan's Making Sense to stay on top of the latest industry news and trends. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and YouTube. The views expressed in this podcast may not necessarily reflect the views of JPMorgan Chase & Co. and its affiliates, Together JPMorgan, and do not constitute research or recommendation advice or an offer or a solicitation to buy or sell any security or financial instrument. They are not issued by J.P. Morgan's Research Department, but are a solicitation under CFTC Rule 1.71. Reference products and services in this podcast may not be suitable for you and may not be available in all jurisdictions. J.P. Morgan may make markets and trade as principal in securities and other asset classes and financial products that may have been discussed. The FICC Market Structure Publications, or to one, newsletters, mentioned in this podcast are available for J.P. Morgan clients. Please contact your J.P. Morgan sales representative should you wish to receive these. For additional disclaimers and regulatory disclosures, please visit www.jpmorgan.com forward slash disclosures. Copyright 2023, J.P. Morgan Chase & Company. All rights reserved.